BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to the 2022 season of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Drew and I am joined by my friend and co-host Ben. Thanks, Drew. Each episode, we will sample craft beers, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at wannabewalkons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, Drew and I will sample beers from our good friends at Jukes Aleworks in Elkhorn, Nebraska, and react to the Purdue game. I'm Ben. And I'm Drew. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, it is a beautifully crisp Sunday in the fall. It's October, and that means a few things. One, it's like the the sports mecca, right? Like every yeah. sport is in play very soon, if not already in motion. Football, basketball, baseball, hockey, you name it. And you're riding a high right now. Very much so. Your baseball team. Ooh, my Philadelphia Phillies. Is hanging oh, out. Oh, man. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's winning like? <laughs> what's what's postseason it like? is it is better than you remember yeah um it's so good yeah they haven't they hadn't been in the playoffs um since before i had children over a decade ago like it's just so it's weird and wild and i've been uh they didn't even have a winning season until last year um in that time so that gives me hope yeah yeah teams can teams can fall off the face of the earth for for a while and they can come back and they're and if you just stick with them man the it, the joy of it it really does pay off well i'm happy for you Thank plus you. you got a birthday coming up soon like man you're just about yeah, to yeah. hit yeah, you're about to hit your stride i'm not really excited about that well if but, what what would be you know what would be if you could have anything for your birthday and i don't mean, mean something like nebraska winning like, <laughs> anything you're looking forward to for your birthday is there something that you're you're hoping to get or some, some um, way you're hoping to celebrate we so uh we went and shopped for guitars oh <gasps> you did we did so looking at that um really takes the surprise out of <laughs> out of the whole um <laughs> gift thing but so we'll see i don't know that's a that's a, a that would be a big time gift that'd be cool but um no mostly for my birthday like uh now nowadays it's about the kids taking them trick-or-treating because it's on halloween yeah right? so um taking them out bringing the bringing like a, a little bit of crown or something with yeah. me and you know yeah. i feel like our parents didn't take advantage of that at least when i was younger and maybe i just didn't notice it but now every parent including myself when i go trick-or-treating i got like a beer in hand i got a cocktail in hand like right? yeah or like pulling along a cooler in a wagon kind yeah, of thing. yeah i have yeah. i have a cooler of beer on my porch for when parents come by I'm like you get you need a refill oh, there you, you know go. so that's, ben's address if you're curious <laughs> yeah. but that's how that's how i get rid of all my like overflow right like if i've got mm-hmm. something where i'm like you know what? this is a good beer but it's kind of past that season i'm not sure if i'm gonna come back to that and my beer fridge is always full 
those are what I hand out. So you get some nice craft beer. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like the adult version of the full size candy bar. Heck yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm happy for you with your birthday coming around and your team's winning. And for our listeners who didn't know, Drew's learning how to finger pick on guitars and it's become a, a hobby and a, and a way for him to, to heal. And I guess it's this a good is the, therapy, like recovering yeah. from a Nebraska loss. Well, that's kind of the theme of this episode, right? Is moving into the bye week and, and, and healing and bringing about uh, those opportunities to just kind of get back and get right. And you use guitar for that. And we use the podcast for that. We also use beer for that. Yeah. Alcohol plays a plays a role. Yeah, but yeah, like a healthy, a healthy way, not sure, an abusive yeah, relationship yeah. with alcohol. <laughs> In a hobby sort of way. Yeah. yeah. And before us, we have a pair of very special beers, and we're going to pull these out for the bye week because we did this last year with this same brewery with Jukes out of Elkhorn. Uh, in front of us, we have the Double Barrel Abyssal Mouth, which was a special release before the football season this year. And then we also have their third anniversary beer, which is called Half-Life. We're going to sample both of these and talk to you guys about them. And, and these, again, are beers that, Drew and I hold near and dear to our hearts and not so much the the beer specifically, but what they mean for these breweries and these breweries getting out and experimenting and things like that. So the first beer that we have again is the Double Barrel Abyssal Mouth and it is an English style barley wine aged in a maple syrup bourbon barrel finished in a Woodford Reserve barrel. Drew, what are some of the notes that jump out at you right away with this beer? Um, it's, I mean, it's really sweet. I mean, you can taste that whatever that, that maple provides there is definitely coming through. So, and then, you know, we're comparing it to the other beer, kind of drinking them side by side. And so that sweetness really starts to get exaggerated compared to the half life. Um, but this is good. It's just a good round, high quality drink. It's a drinkable beer for yeah. being a double barrel aged. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Now we should also note that we're splitting a, a like 12 ounce bottle we're not yeah, yeah. just we're not sitting here just like pounding, pounding these away but i i agree with you man the sweetness is is absolutely there but it's not an overpowering maple sweetness it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like an adjunct to this beer you know what i mean like yeah. you can tell that it was aged in a barrel and got to draw that flavor out right but it wasn't hit over the head with it yeah it wasn't injected into it so it's not like that cloying sort of yeah. sweetness it's just a it's just pleasant to help balance against such a you know such a big sturdy base yeah, barley wines are going to be something that have a little bit of funk to them, a good amount of bitter to them. I mean, they're they're one of my personal favorite beer styles because they do have that real wide breadth. You can get barley wines that taste like maple syrup, and you can get barley wines that taste like blue cheese. And that's, <laughs> yeah. that's like a really weird, wide spectrum, and, and they're just so much fun to hit on any side. Yeah. Um, so big fan of this beer. Uh, and then next we have Half-Life, which is a blend of imperial stout and english barley wine aged 20 months in a single sherry cask used to finish jim beam legend bourbon so this also has a pretty serious pedigree in front of it and it's a blended beer which is also a really unique thing you don't find that a a whole lot where breweries are blending beers together Um, so drew take it away again what are your thoughts on this one um i really enjoy this one as well Uh, i get a lot more like this one leans toward more towards the coffee kind of flavor profile for me and so it's um, just a big, a rich flavor to it. Um, just very enjoyable. None of the, none of the sweetness I think picks up on this one for me. So yeah, it's a much drier beer, mm-hmm. um, but it is a very full and velvety beer, which is kind of interesting to not have some of that sweetness. I'm sure it has the sugar content. I'm sure the yeah. sugar's there. Um, this one to me, when we first started drinking these hit like an Irish coffee where you get that coffee note. And this one I think really picks up on that Jim Beam bourbon note and you get that nice undertone, a little bit of that heat. This would be one that I would sip out by a fire. Like you could really yeah. enjoy enjoy a fire pit with this beer and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, good on Jukes. These guys, 
God, yeah, they knock it out of the park every time. Um, and they, one of my favorite things about breweries like this is that they're so good at um, at creating just a standard lineup. You know, the the ones that they have on tap all the time at that tap house, and they have a ton of beer. Oh yeah, on hand at all times. It's, it's a point of pride it's for 20 them. Twenty some, yeah. tw- I think twenty three beers on tap or something like that at a time. Um, but they do these special releases so well too. And like you said, this is where. Um, brewers can really start to show off in a lot of ways or experiment or play around. Um, and when, when I was picking up the Half-Life, um, you know, you could tell Kyle Kyle was there. He was, um, you know, handing them out. Not, not handing them out. <laughs> It'd be great if he was handing them out. Um, but he just the way he talked about it, the way he talked about his other beers, like there's such pride that, that goes into it and such love and passion. And that's really... That's cool in anything in life. Anybody who's like truly in love with what they're doing is great. But when it's something that they're able to share like this um, and you get to enjoy that and kind of experience it for yourself, um, it's just cool. It's a cool thing. And I've got to encourage folks, you know, you see these posts where they're saying, hey, this is a bottle of beer. It's a $20 bottle of beer. And you're thinking, well, I can get like two thirty racks of Bush Light and, and still have some change left you on that front. You certainly can. You know, and yeah. that's that's two different types of beers and that's two different situations and I'm happy to drink a bush light, I'm happy to drink this beer. Yeah. What I would encourage is giving these a try, either see if they have them in their tap house and see if it's something that you like, but also understand that, again, this is the difference between a craftsman and an artisan, right? Like, it's, it's like looking at a woodworker and saying like, well, there's some real craftsmanship there, but there's also artistry in it. These are the moments when they get to flex that artistry muscle, these specialty things. Like, there's only 300 bottles of this beer, and then it's gone. Yeah. And so there is that premium as far as you pay 20 bucks for this bottle. But also, the brewery is probably not making a dollar on this beer. They're not making anything on this because of how much time. I mean, 20 months, that's almost two years where they're just devoting space, and then they've got to bottle it, and they got to wax it, and they got to sell it. And by the time you go through all of that labor, 20 bucks is a bargain. Yeah. You know, I can't drink a painting, but I can sure drink this. <laughs> this is my kind of art. You could eat a Van Gogh. <laughs> you can when they throw tomato yeah, soup exactly, on it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, topical. Yeah, I've seen uh, that painting in person. Have you? Yeah, I have the sunflowers. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I bet I, it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, the... <laughs> oh, man. I, I have a... I have a Em, just for some reason, an emotional connection to Van Gogh, which I know is what yeah. all these football listeners are. <laughs> <laughs> right, this is what you think. came for. No, I, I saw that when it was in the National Museum in Washington, D.C. And like just with Van Gogh's paintings in person, like if you get close to him, like there can sometimes be just this visceral reaction, his use of color and, and just those things in person. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, I get what they're protesting. Yeah. But also that kind of <laughs> right. Like go think- after Monet. I don't care. about. <laughs> <laughs> Take out a Rembrandt for fuck's sake. <laughs> Uh, oh, so again, if you get a chance, please check out these specific, these specialty brews um, when they come around. The, the nice thing is, as well is, is especially at Jukes, they open up the side garage door and it's kind of like a mini party, right? They open up, they start selling at 11, but there's a line out there of other craft beer drinkers. They bring their specialty bottles and share with each other. And it's kind of like this mini party. And then the door gets opened up. You can buy your bottles and then you can go straight into the tap room yeah. <laughs> and sample it without having to crack your bottle. Yeah. And then you can let this age in your cellar, buy a couple bottles, drink one now, drink one in six months, another one in a year, play with it. Like this is the kind of beer that you can do that with. You can have fun with it um, because it just grows and grows as it ages. Yeah. So again, this is the bye week So we thought, hey, we'd flex a little bit and share a beer that that does lift up those spirits and, and is 
one of the reasons we got into craft beer. So hopefully that uh, that is healing for you to listen to and encouraging. And if your wife's like, why are you spending 20 bucks on beer? Or if your husband's like, why are you spending 20 bucks on beer? You can be like, one of me walk-ons told me to do it. Um, we'll take that heat. Yeah, yeah. We'll take the blame. We, we will, we will shoulder that burden for you. Let us, <laughs> let us be the ones to encourage. So <laughs> I don't want to talk about it, but that's what we're here for. Let's talk about this Purdue game where Nebraska falls 43 to 37 against, uh, Purdue. And I, I say, uh, Purdue because as much as Nebraska had difficulty against them, I don't think this was a good team. I don't think Purdue was a good team. Mm-mm. You know, great on them for winning. They got a good quarterback, and they've got a great play caller in their head coach. And yeah. you know what? If that's what it takes yeah. for them, that's what it takes for them. They played their game, and they they beat Nebraska at it. Yeah, they just Purdued us. Like yeah. that's all you can say. Um, this was this was hands down the most frustrated I've been. And during a Nebraska game in a long time, like, yeah. um, mostly because my emotional investment lasted from start to finish. Um, and, and I was, I was very heavily invested beforehand too. I was starting to, I was starting to really buy back into the team and I'm still, you know, I'm still there. Sure. I think, um, despite the, the poor performances in some, some places, um, I, you know, I think they still showed resolve. Yeah. In a lot of ways, um, they had their backs up against the wall on defense in terms of depth and injuries and stuff going on there, and they lost Henrich during that game too. So, um, and for them Buford, to, they they lost. Yeah, the Buford, game as well. they didn't. He didn't get a lot of playing time, so they were rotating. Um, I think we saw like Singleton and a lot of Phelan Sanford and um, Brown got put in. Yeah, yeah, you know, Omar was, was there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was. It's, this was frustrating, and I had to apologize. I had to, actually had to apologize to my wife and kids after the game for the way that I was, <laughs> the way that I was behaving, and the things that I was saying. Um, my children learned some some new words today or yesterday. Um, but I think that's. I think that shows, kind of, um, what Mickey Joseph brings to the table. Yeah, I imagine that if um, you know if, if fans can get bought in. Um, the players are definitely bought into. Sure, and uh, they almost they almost won a game that they probably had no business winning. Sure, well, you know when the spreads thirteen and a half, fourteen points, and you, you look at the first half score, and you look at the way that that first half was coming to a close, and you're thinking, oh man, Purdue's going to run away with this, and then they get back to within thirteen or fourteen, and you're thinking, yeah, we've been here before. This team's been here before, and we're going to find a way to click on offense and sure shit you come out of the second half and you're clicking on offense and no one can seem to stop Trey Palmer and then no mm. one can seem to stop Adrian O'Connell and Charlie Jones and uh whatever his name is Maccabee Maccabee it's not even spelled right yeah <laughs> so it's like a Dickens character I, I have in my notes that he runs like a dying duck in Nintendo's <laughs> duck hunt like just that <laughs> where like it was all of his limbs are just flailing in a circle it was ridiculous to watch. Have you seen, remember the, in The Simpsons when Bart and Lisa get into a fight and like one of them starts spinning their arms and the other one just starts <laughs> kicking their legs and it's just like, I mean, it's effective, I guess. It, but. Yeah, it works well when you have five free yards before you anybody gets to you. Yeah. That definitely helps. I was thinking like, I don't know how he protects the ball. When you're that flaily, how do you keep the ball secure? I was, uh, yeah, after the first few runs, I was like, we might be able to like punch one loose, but... No, no, we never got within no. punching distance. So. That's because he's f- swinging yeah. his arms, and we're trying to <laughs> kick our legs. 
Well, let's oh, dive man. in and let's start talking about Nebraska's offense in this game. Um, I want to I want to get out ahead and I want to say I know and you know that the offensive line is an issue. What? Yes. <laughs> Surprise. Casey Thompson was sacked too many times. We couldn't get a run game going. And there were just some some plays by the offensive line where you stop and you go, okay, sometimes guys get beat, but why are guys running free when it's a four-man rush? Like, why are there these moments where this line is not just doing the bare minimum? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to defend the offensive line, and I'm going to blame it on Scott Frost. <laughs> <laughs> and here's here's how. When we were in need of an offensive line coach, he went out and he got Rayola. Now, at the beginning of the season, before the season started, you and I were both like, this is going to be maybe the biggest question mark on how this offense comes together and clicks. And, and we clearly can see it's not working. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is when you look at Rayola's experience, he was a professional coach. And we're playing the college game. I know these are all like, yeah, no shit. The big thing to take away is when you look at the best coaches in college, they're all about development And when you look at some of the best coaches in the NFL and at the professional level, they're about player relationship and they're about refinement. They're about taking what these players learned in college and refining it to this game. The leap from high school to college is a much bigger leap than college to professional, right? You see guys come in from the college game who just come in right away and they can dominate in the NFL because they've they've had the same coaching and coaches interchange between those two levels a, a fair amount. Rayola was put into a situation to fail. Right, He was not the coach that you wanted to bring in. He didn't have the experience, and he doesn't have the experience. I don't want to speak about him in past tense. He hasn't been fired or anything like that, but who knows on this we podcast. We haven't stopped recording, so. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Chins and frost. <laughs> but but I, I feel like the hire itself, when you look at the decision itself, we, we just didn't hire a guy who was going to come in with the tools to be successful because he didn't have that experience. Right, He's going to be learning on the job. Now, Year two of Rayola in college as a coach may be much better because he knows what needs to go into these guys from day one. But he's just not a coach that is used to developing players. He's about taking the, the tools they have and refining that. And he was also an assistant coach. He was an assistant line coach as opposed to the headline coach. So he is just, you know, he's, he's been given an objective. He get, usually gets busy work and then he fixes that and focuses on that. Whereas at this level, he's the guy calling the shots. And so, yes, this offensive line is not playing well, and Rayola's not getting them coached up to where they need to be, but I don't think anyone was given the tools to be successful on that front. I can agree with that. Cool. A lot of that, yeah. I hope so, because I just help. talked for Yeah, it. I'm not going to fight like against that. Um, I think that the, whoever, probably whoever was named coach would have would have struggled if not failed. Um, it, this wasn't a, you know, like you don't you don't just come in and flip a switch and your offensive line suddenly just starts clicking. Sure, that's fair. I think they tr- I think that's why they brought Rayola in though. Um, at least the way that they that they talked about him was he's not he probably is not a developer like you're saying, but he's a guy that m- I think they wanted to draw out a certain aggression from the players or just get something out of them so that they could they could flip a some switch, maybe not the developmental switch, but the attacking switch. And I think that might work on the defensive line. I think that might work for a wide receiver or a running back to add that aggression. Mm-hmm. But I think that with his, as as well as defenses can scheme against an offensive line, and when you when you have this, and I'm, this isn't me saying that the offensive line is unintelligent or anything like that, 
when you hear repeatedly that those are the smartest guys on the team, it's it's strategic. It's they have to be smart to be able to pick up on those reads immediately. So playing with aggression doesn't do you any good if you don't know where to point that aggression. Yeah. For a running back, it's downhill. For a wide receiver, it's down the field. For a defensive lineman, it's you know what I mean. So yeah. Like, when it doesn't make sense to have an aggressive line when they're in pass pro, like aggressive yeah. works if you're gonna run the ball. Sure. Yeah, because then you're trying to get the push, but like you're seeing them, you know, stepping back to pass protect, and they're you know the tackles might be looking inside, and their ends are just walking around them. Yeah, um, you know that's not yeah that's not aggression's not going to help you there. That's technique and and understanding reads and and knowing where to look and where to block. So, um, yeah, I don't. I mean, obviously Rayola isn't working out here, um, but I also think that he probably wasn't put in a great position to succeed either. Yeah, exactly so, my point. That's that's yeah. exactly the way I was thinking is it's to me to me this is in defense of that line, right? Like yeah. in defense of the line, in defense of Rayola, I don't think either side was was brought here or was given the tools to be successful going into the season. Yeah. So thanks, Scott. <laughs> so let's talk about some some maybe fun stuff when it comes to this offense or some other uh, other notes. And yeah. I think we uh we both probably know where this is gonna start and where it's gonna end. And his name is Trey Palmer. That's it. That's all we need to talk about for the rest of uh, rest of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I got some bones to pick yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I got a big note that you probably know is coming okay. from, from Whipple. But let's talk about Trey Palmer and yes. just there was no answer for him. From he was from incredible. Purdue. Yeah. Yeah. He was behind the defense all night. Um, and what what's what's even more incredible is that he's able to run the length of a football field. Um, and make these plays when there is no pass protection. Like, that's how f- he's just, he's so fucking fast. He's just running by people. And Matt Millen's like, he's not, he's not <laughs> he a fast guy like, out there. Yeah. Matt Millen, I think before the Rutgers game, that's what he said. Trey Palmer's not going to beat you with the speed, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, <laughs> Jesus. Well, he's going to get out there and beat you with the speed. <laughs> Incredible scouting report there yeah. on his behalf. Um, but no, yeah. Trey Palmer, it's sad that that, um, that that effort and that like a historic truly historic game for a Nebraska receiver um is wasted in a loss I think that you know sometimes we see those those big games from players and they they get kind of buried underneath uh the outcome of the game but um he averaged almost 40 yards of reception which is fucking incredible yeah. um 200 most, 297 all-purpose yards yeah yeah because he was he was also ret- uh, returning kicks yeah, and stuff I so just nuts um he, and then he had the ru- rushing the oh. one rushing uh play that Average went off 60 yards 60 rushing. yards of rush yeah um i saw something from the big 10 network that said he's the first first football football player i'm assuming in fbs um this century so in the past 20 some years who's gone for 225 plus receiving yards and 50 plus rushing yards in a wow. game wow in all football, like which is crazy because yeah. you think like that's just bound to happen at some point. But that's how bad Purdue's defense was, and that's how great he was tonight. He so. also is the FBS leader in receiving yards. He is he's number one, and he's the top-rated receiver in Pro Football Focus. Yeah. Um. So it's not just this like fluky little thing. Like he's he's doing what he needs to do. He's doing his job. And he's doing it right, and he's beating people. Are we gonna have a first-round draft pick? <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not getting too carried away. I mean, but, like if he can keep it up, I don't. I mean. I don't know how he. I don't know how he honestly like rates out like size wise for NFL. Does teams it or matter whatever, if they can't catch him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Purdue doesn't have slouches at cornerback. I mean, it's not like they have. They don't. But if there was any place that Nebraska was going to win this game, stop. 
I'm just, just they and they yeah they're they were always susceptible to those pass plays. It was incredible that they blew it every like pretty much every time. Yeah. And it could have been worse if not for there was one the one of the interceptions that Casey threw was yeah. an underthrown ball where where Trey was back there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, if there was a place that we were going to beat him, it was that. It's, again, it's just incredible that he was so successful. Yeah, what I what I really love to see too, and it is multiple Nebraska players getting behind the defense. And I think on Trey Palmer's first touchdown, Oliver Martin was, was there yeah. too. He was already in the end zone <laughs> yeah, celebrating. Yeah, right? He had burned his guy as well. So we've got some serious speed. Yeah. And and man, is that just not fun to watch? Do you do you follow Trey Palmer's mom on Twitter? Um, I don't know if I, I I've probably seen her stuff okay. pop up. I would encourage and I would encourage our listeners if you're on Twitter to seek out Trey Palmer's mom on on Twitter because she tweets amazing tweets. And it's not just, you know, like that's my boy or like, hey, you know, I'm proud of Trey Palmer or something like that. She's like on the on the end around. She's like, I wouldn't have been caught. (laughs) (laughs) He runs 60 yards. And she's like, that's my boy. But I wouldn't have been caught or like, oh, I'd have caught that ball or like. So, oh, that's so she's, good. she's engaged as well. It's, it's an incredible, I can see where he gets his confidence. Yeah, from. Just, that's amazing. He's like, I got, oh, if I don't catch this, my mom's going <laughs> to, I'm not going to hear the end of it. So I would encourage you go out and follow her because she's great. She's super supportive of Trey, which is also, you know, just wonderful to see. I love the fact that, you know, just parents being supportive of their kids. Yeah. Like, that's just, that's endearing, right? You forget that these are college students and they're going out there and they're playing a game and their parents are watching it just like we are with with butterflies in their stomach, hoping for the best mm-hmm. for these kids. So, um, Another person that I want to talk about in this offense is Ramir. He showed, showed up. up. He was there for one play. Yeah. Well, I had one rush. He was probably on yeah. the field for a couple more, but... And a good and a good one too, one that was important. Seventeen yards. Yeah, it was Great a nice pickup. draw play and set him up for the field goal to end the half. Now, I'm not... I'm not going to get too angry about Ramir not showing up because we clearly had an answer for Purdue's defense if we were going to get the ball back. It's not like we needed extra hands on deck. We knew how to attack them, right? Throw the ball to Palmer because he's going to be open. YOLO bombs all night. Absolutely. It's not even YOLO bombs, though, <laughs> when it's like the guy's wide. That's true. You know what I mean? It's it's not Tommy Armstrong throwing up a prayer. <laughs> like It's Trey Palmer just waving his arms down there like, were you... Playing jackpot. Did like you line up at the goal line? Yeah. Like, <laughs> But... Why did Ramir go away? Why did he disappear? I don't know. That's a good question. Oh man, I hope to see more of him. I, I hope. think I think we might. Again, that was a that was a they were in a what like a two minute drill towards the end of the half. They were trying to move quick. Um, it was a it was a draw play, so it was very situational the way that they used him. But whatever, I don't know. I like there's all sorts of stuff about um about him and like why he's been gone and and not getting playing time and being in a doghouse. So. Um, the fact that he got a carry in an important situation, um, hopefully, shows us that the that the future is maybe a little more positive. For you know, him. one of the things that I loved last year was him coming out of the backfield on those wheel routes, and they were so effective uh, on the mm-hmm. defense uh, on the defensive front, um, going up against anyone really in the Big Ten. So I hope to see those come back, and I'm I'm wondering if some of this stuff is going to be reserved for maybe a little bit more of the difficult uh, opponents that we're facing that they're still trying to hold stuff back. I don't really think that that's what's going on uh, and like you said there were some some things off the field going on with Ramir but I was glad to see him in glad to see him get a touch and glad to see him get yards yeah a successful play um and having a guy like that who can catch the ball out of the backfield not that Anthony Grant is unable to um but having a guy like Ramir who's who's really great in space um you know when when you have an offense that needs quick passes um and needs to just get the ball out 
and get it into the hands of playmakers. Having a guy like that could be a good weapon moving forward against some of these defenses. Well, I think Ramirez's top-end speed is higher than Anthony Grant's, but I think Anthony Grant's vision on the field is stronger. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of one of the, the benefits. It's like it's the good and bad of Anthony Grant. It's like he does wait and he is patient, but sometimes he just tap dances a little bit too much in that backfield. There were a couple of times where you just want to see him hit hit the gap and go. You know, you're strong enough, you're big enough just get downhill. And there were a couple of times where there was some small holes and I think he was waiting for something a little bit bigger to open up, but I think he could have picked up more yardage. And I think that that's why they kind of go away uh, from the running game at times is those running backs get a little too patient in the backfield instead of just trying to power their way home. But again, when you go back to to point the finger and lay heavy on the O-line. I think we, I mean, (laughs) we all know. You know, I, I appreciate you not rolling your eyes at me as I start talking, <laughs> but like you make this face where like you purse your lips and you're just, mm, yeah, oh, okay, he's, he's going off that way. He's going to try and defend it. No, yeah. Let's it, see where this goes. <laughs> I just, um, I'm, I mean, I'm heavily biased towards Anthony Grant and, uh, cause it, cause like I, I've, I've loved him from the moment that he committed. He's not a bad run. That's not what I'm saying. I will, I know, but I just I would I wouldn't speak poorly of him first, and then and then be like, well, and it also might be something to do with his blockers. <laughs> okay, so this 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 is a good time to bring this point up. So, do you remember a few years ago when the Chicago Bears, and I'm sure that you remember this because you're a Bears fan, and they lost a game uh, when they're. Wow. I think it was they've lost maybe, a lot of games. So I mean, it might have been a playoff game or a playoff berth where their field goal kicker missed the a double float. doink. That was yeah. against Philly. Yeah. Okay. No, I remember that. <laughs> Thank See, you. I told you. <laughs> Such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that Goose Island challenged people? Yes. To kick, yeah. you know, in Chicago. <laughs> okay. So, so for yes. those of you who don't know, Drew, sorry to bring this memory back up, it's but funny. Chicago missed a field goal. You call it the double doink. Was it Robbie, was it was not Gould. No, he had, no. they they got rid of Gould. I think that year actually they sent him off um, to San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say it was Santos. Okay, who kicked it? Regardless of who the kicker was, Chicago Bears fans were up in arms, and they were saying, "How can you not make that field goal? It was a forty-yard field goal. It was favorable conditions. You double doink it. It's your job." So Goose Island, a local brewery who does some incredibly killer beer challenged people i think it was beer for a year like free beer for a year probably something crazy yeah, yeah. if you could make a 40 yard field goal and a bunch of fucking idiots turned out <laughs> and they all tried nobody made it and the beauty of it was it started snowing the day of and they had them on like concrete and i think the number of people that just slipped and fell they on their ass ate it. yeah it's so great was amazing so look that up but i was thinking i'm one of the people who are bitching about the o-line some local brewery should do a challenge here where we just have to block a defender. <laughs> Could you even imagine? Oh man! Just just get 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 a former Husker defensive end, and all you got to do is like block them from yeah. their initial pass rush, <laughs> and just see how many fans can really do it. Oh my god! How many fucking people would just end up just broken? Oh, that would be that would be a lot of fun. I would get my ass trucked. I'm not. I don't like this. Is important because we talked about this when we started the podcast. About being, you know, like overly critical of individual players, or because because these guys are given a lot, a lot to do this. Um, you know, they're investing, they're they're investing at least four years just within college, not not including all the time that they've put in up up before this, just to get to this level. Um, making a lot of sacrifices, sacrificing their body, um, sacrificing hopefully some frat parties. You know, they they're they're putting in a lot yeah, of that work. That college right? experience kind of 
it's yeah. comes and goes for them because they are giving giving quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and so yeah, so to like, yeah, I won't. Yeah, I won't rag on them for that. You, the but the results are poor. <laughs> like that. I mean, for all the work and all the effort, the results are poor. So you, like you can't you can't talk about games without at least acknowledging that. Um. I guess to defend to defend the O line since you were doing that earlier, I, I the the one thing I will say is that they're playing with a lot of guys out that they were counting on. Yeah, um, Prohaska's injured. They didn't have Kevin Williams. Um, Brock Bando didn't make the trip, and then obviously New Ely is missing the year. And so that's um, those are a lot of important players that they were counting on. Um, and so yeah, so and and again, it I think it always comes back to coaching too. Um, they didn't have the development. They didn't have the right people helping them along the way. So I think that's why we're seeing this. It's not for lack of effort on their part. No, and absolutely so not. And I'm that's not, not what I'm trying yeah, to get out yeah. either. Yeah. So I just, well, I just wanted to clarify that, that we're not going to sit here and shit on them just for the sake of shitting on them. No, no. So, so one more person I want to shit on is... <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, okay, my la- I have two more things that I that I want to bring up. One, Vocalek looked good. He looked really yeah. good. He looked like he was back in form. He was ready to play, and he trucked a motherfucker, and that yes. was great. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to see that all the time. And I love the the vocal spe- special, which is he gets hit like after receiving the ball, turning up field, and he does like a side flip. He does. He does the barrel roll yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, he, and he's gotten good at that. Like, yeah, that's I've come to expect that from him. And it's like, oh, okay, he's feeling good if he's yeah if he's, he's taking that kind he, of punishment. He gets his legs taken out, but he's a big dude, right? So you got to learn how to fall. You forget how big he is, <laughs> right? and then you see him just running downfield, and Again, that's another one that I'd say, hey, Husker fans, let's let's do some sort of competition where like you and Travis Vogel. <laughs> you got to ta- tackle Travis. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Okay, the last All right. the last thing I have, and it, Whipple called an option read yeah. with Casey Thompson. Yeah, he did. Put fucking Smothers in sometime. <laughs> Casey did good running the ball. He did. He did really good running the ball It was a great read, yeah. and then he, he also had a, he escaped pressure on he that did. one big it play, 30, big, 30 yards. Yeah, big play. Yeah. Smart, smart with the ball. Yeah, but uh, this team still knows how to run that play. Yes, and I think that Smothers can be a valuable asset down the road. It is a a guy you put in maybe once a series in each half of a game when you are having a trouble moving the ball. Give your quarterback, whoever that is, if it's Casey, hopefully it's Casey, not an injured Casey or whoever it happens to be, giving them a chance to regather. Watch the offense, see what the defense is throwing at them, but also be effective with moving the ball. Whipple can clearly call it. This team can still fucking run it. <laughs> Smothers is an asset in his ability to speed up. Just make sure that you tell him, like, once you you know start to get tackled, just just tighten on the ball. Yeah. yeah, and and I think that that could be so effective and such a great you know ace in the in the pocket. Yes, that it could be. It could also be. I think it could become something that's too predictable. Unless you're allowing Smothers to throw the ball, which he can a, do, which you be be a threat. Tied end up the seam on something like that. Ooh, buddy, it has to be a, that has to be a real threat, and you have to trust Smothers to make make that throw. I know, do. Not I trust him to make that. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. Um, I think that we would see more of it. I honestly think we would see more of it with Casey because he's capable of running. He's not going to beat you with speed. Um, he's not going to juke you out of your shoes, but he's capable of running, as he's shown. I don't think they want him to take hits. Yeah. That's I think that's the whole reason that we haven't seen more of that in games because it could be incredibly effective, especially with um, you know defenses worrying about Trey Palmer and the other guys getting behind them. It could be so fucking effective 
having that quarterback run game be part of it. Um, but again, I think they're just trying to preserve his body at this point. Yeah, you know how you can preserve it? Put Smothers in for a series. <laughs> <laughs> Let him run the ball. Oh, man. All right, we talked enough about Nebraska's offense. Shall we talk about uh, Nebraska's defense? No. <laughs> Look, you mentioned it, and I don't think there's a, a whole lot to harp on. We all watched the game. That defense was depleted. You didn't have yeah. Reimer. You lost Buford. You lost Heinrich. You lost some serious guys. And, like, I, I, I'm not going to say that having Heinrich in there wins you the game. But I do think you get some more stops on Maccabi. I do think you get some more stops maybe behind the line or getting a little bit more pressure where that linebacker core can play a little bit more free because they have their their field general in Heinrich and they have, you know, their best player in Luke Reimer. And so maybe there's a little bit more confidence. So there's you can be a little bit more aggressive on your defensive play calling. Um, but I, I didn't hate the strategy. I didn't hate the idea of sending three guys and dropping eight because you know that in those situations, Purdue's going to pass. It was just a matter of Charlie Jones, who looks like a freaking Karate Kid villain. Like <laughs> he just he just found his ways to get open, and and you know Trey Palmer's two hundred ninety seven all purpose yards got overshadowed by one hundred twenty seven yards. Yeah, um, a lot of my frustration was from the he- hearing fucking Matt Millen say the word slant over and oh over again, call Charlie Jones and talk about how great. Um, Aiden O'Connell is well. You know, I mean, he's um, he's just a big fan of wispy mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> I my defensive notes were all about how I thought the other team looked. Yeah, <laughs> Charlie Jones looks like a Karate Kid villain. <laughs> Devin Magaby runs like a falling duck. <laughs> Matt Matt Mullen likes wispy mustaches because he has one himself. What can be said about AOC that Matt Millen didn't already say? You know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, no! This was this was just it was frustrating because it was, um, it was a lot of dinking and dunking, and it was the same plays over and over again. Um, I don't, I never expected us to stop or slow down Charlie Jones at all, or even Aiden. I, th- I figured he would go for three hundred yards. Um, I di- I didn't expect us to be so fucking bad against the run. Like they, that's I think where they really killed us because they were able to sustain drives that way. Yeah. Um, they were able to, they were probably able to manipulate us a lot in the past game because they were trying to keep us honest, um, with that running game and, and mostly stay on schedule. <coughs> we're down the wrong way. <laughs> <coughs> oh God. <coughs> He's okay. It's okay to laugh. I'm okay. <laughs> the beer went down the wrong pipe. Sad. Occupational hazard. Sad. <laughs> professional drinkers over here. oh man all right what were you saying good i don't remember <laughs> no i was talking I was, yeah the run game Purdue's yep. run game killed us mockaby um especially running outside they were able to just find find the edge over and over again yeah for just like five six yards at a time um so i thought that was killer the they gave up a, a lot of third and longs i think they they were able to get into some positions the defense was where you felt like they were maybe able to be successful yeah. they, they give themselves a chance in a lot of a lot of places but then yeah then then they they get hit with a nine yard slant or sure. a 12 yard slant um what i will say about you know all those dinking and dunking in those passing plays is i think they played the deep ball really well i think they covered really well on that i think that the secondary sure. is playing so much more aggressive than they have in the, in the oh my god <laughs> <laughs> guys i'm so sorry <laughs> 
This is why we need the, the bye week. <laughs> the, to, to, to take over so you can take your breath. Um, the the secondary did did do really well. The defense as a whole, they they played they played up against 101 plays. The longest play that Purdue had, I think, was 32 yards, which was just a little screen play that Maccabee I think broke for, you know, broke out of. Yeah, Charlie Jones um, had a 31 yard touchdown. And then too. Yeah, yeah, and then there was so there were a couple of those, but like there was never that one that one huge like you know 70 yard head scratcher. Yeah, um, there was, but there was offensive pass interference. <laughs> and the Payne pick, Durham just yeah. tackled a guy. Yes, that big play, which, which they also did on that did on fourth and one. Fucking lat- yeah, two two of our defenders got just straight up tackled. Yeah, and, then, and Matt Mullen's like, no, no. it's pass interference. No, it's not. <laughs> it was. Anyways, yeah, sorry. you know, and he also said, oh, it was a it was a penalty, but it doesn't matter. Like <laughs> that doesn't make any fucking sense, Matt. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was. That was frustrating. It was an interesting call by Purdue, by the way, to throw it on fourth down there. Really, yeah. really weird. They had a couple, another one um, late, late in the game. I think it was second. It was second and eleven, and they threw the ball, um, even though Nebraska didn't have any timeouts, and they ended up stopping the clock. Yeah. And so that was another moment where it's like, okay, you know, we just need to get this next stop. Yeah. And and we'll get the ball back with some time, but uh, it didn't obviously yeah. work out. So. Man, the, the confidence that Brom has in in Aiden O'Connell. Is is justified? I mean, it's for he's, sure. He's, it's, he's a he's a he's a great talent. He he really did have a, a lot of great throws. Um, a lot of a lot of balls that just like the coverage was there. It was good. Just it's just you, there. You couldn't defend it. Like yeah. that's just all there is to it. And so like there were a lot of plays where we did just get beat, and you just tip your cap, you know, and you move on. I to did the next not play. tip my cap. <laughs> I wasn't wearing a cap. <laughs> well, no, no, yeah. I I mean you. Nice play to you, sir. <laughs> twiddle it. Yeah, yeah, twiddle Aiden O'Connell's little wispy mustache. I mean, just 101 uh, plays over 42 yard, uh, over 42 minutes of possession. Yeah, you you can't you can't get on the defense for not being able to make the stop by the end of the game because if we were in that kind of control, you wouldn't expect the opposing team to have anything left in the tank. But mm-hmm. they still were fighting it. I mean, Ty Robinson had a chance. We had a chance, and and that's. That's something to be said uh, about the grit that this team shows and, and and the kind of passion that they're still playing with. Yeah, and there was there was one play in particular. There were few and far between where they got after Aiden, but there was uh, I think it was Garrett Nelson got the sack. Um, but but it was because Robinson disrupted the middle. I think he he shoved his blocker straight back into Aiden O'Connell, and and that's what you know disrupted that play. And so, yeah. um, you know. You you wish you could get more of that in yeah. a, in a game like this where you could really disrupt the offense and get them off their rhythm. But, sure. Um, so it's it's possible for them to do it. It's just they just need to do it consistently. Well, why don't we why don't we turn a little corner and end on some positive notes? Okay. Special teams for Nebraska is playing pretty damn good right now. Very much so. With with Bill Bush taking over defense, handing the reins off. Yeah, you know. Bill Bush clearly did a good job picking his graduate assistant to come in and continue to coach this team. Yeah. And I don't know if he was an analyst or a graduate assistant. I, I don't remember the guy's name, unfortunately, and that's... We'll learn it at some point, if he can keep this up. Yeah. <laughs> but Phelan Sanford going in for a, a block punt, that scheme was amazing. Was Him great. going into the motion. motion. Right, and, I mean, he timed that perfectly came right in and blew that play up yep uh bleak road was three for three on field goals four yep. for four on extra points and then we had kick returns we did legitimate kick returns they were nice yeah tommy hill was putting us in good 
good spots. He was. And good for him to be doing that. Like, you know, making the position change and, and maybe, um, you know, because he came in very, very hyped up. Yep. Um, and 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 he came into a secondary that was struggling early and he, and he wasn't able to take over one of those spots, had the position change. And so he's obviously going through a little bit, a little bit of tumult for him, but he's, you know, he's making a name for himself now on special teams. And, yeah. um, you know, that I think that shows some heart and grit and a passion just to play to make an impact. So, you know, what I also think is really interesting when when Mickey Joseph was asked about Tommy Hill, obviously, Mickey Joseph being a wide receivers coach uh, who's had some pretty serious success as a wide receivers coach and being asked about Tommy Hill's move to wide receiver. He said, you know, we're not going to plug him into anything yet. We're giving him reps with the ones, but maybe after the bye week. And he's really stuck to that. What I like about that is that Mickey Joseph isn't rushing anything. He's not trying to put a player out there who's not ready to play in that position. And, and I think that shows across the board with the guys that you are seeing getting reps. Um, Hartzog being one of the key guys, right? Where it's like, hey, this guy's ready to step up and be a gamer. And he's gone out there and had another game with an interception and he's gone and played yeah. really well. So the fact that Tommy Hill's being put in those special team situations but not being plugged in elsewhere to me really shows kind of the care and the development of these players at this time. Um, so I have some confidence that that might continue to go, and we might see some Tommy Hill against Illinois in a couple weeks. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Interesting to watch him develop. So I have one more kind of overall game note. Okay. Which is kind of a little one, but I think that as Mickey Joseph gets more experience as a head coach, things like wasting timeouts won't uh, happen as often. And and I saw the face you made when I said wasting. That's it, yeah. There, there was a timeout that ultimately, if you could have it back, you'd take it back because I think Purdue wound up converting either the fourth down or third down or a touchdown or, or whatever mm-hmm. happened to be. So you'd have two timeouts going into that last drive instead of just one. But I think that some of that game management will get better with Mickey. And I have confidence that he will improve himself, that he will look at that tape and he will say, hey, regardless of everything else that happened, he's done this in every press conference and what have you. He's going to say, I lost us that game because I took this timeout because I didn't have the team ready because we didn't have that call in. And I think that he's going to continue to grow on that front. I'm not putting the blame on that, but I'm saying that I think he is the kind of coach and the kind of person who's going to continue to push himself to evolve in those situations. So I'm very much looking forward to him growing. But I think those are the the areas where you see like having, you know, an inexperienced head coach being put in those situations that can come back to bite you later on in the game. And you don't always see those kind of instances taking place as the game's progressing. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm yeah, I'm sure he would probably do do it a little bit differently with the timeouts, but in both halves. Um but it but you know, as they happen like in the, in the first half not using the timeouts, um allowing what Purdue to score and then coming back and only getting a field goal cuz you run out of time. Um that that's one that's kind of frustrating, but you also felt like it in the moment that was probably the right thing. Like you, you shouldn't have been, you know, burning your timeouts and giving Purdue more time with the ball. Um, so I wouldn't gripe on that. But the yeah, the second half ones were frustrating because it's like as they as they burn those first two timeouts. I think the one on defense, especially in the moment, it's like fuck, like that sucks because you know that 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 in a game like this yep. at that point when it started to get more back and forth, um, you knew like that can really come back to bite us in the ass. Um, but it, but at the same time, I don't wait. I'd say I wouldn't say that they wasted them because I, I think that in those situations, I think that they, you know, again, on defense, they had a look that they just didn't like, and they wanted to make sure they were set. Um, they also didn't need a ton of time to score. 
so timeouts were not necessarily valuable there on as valuable there on offense. Um, and then they didn't they didn't end up making the stops anyway at the end of the game. So even if they had burned, you know, even if they had all three in their pocket on that last drive, um, you call your timeouts, Purdue probably still converts. Sure. So that's fair. Um I, I don't I don't one hundred percent hate the decision quality, but I do think that with more experience those types of types of things will get cleaned up mm-hmm. and i feel like it took the last head coach a lot longer to learn those things because his head was buried in a playbook and buried somewhere else and yeah. so i think <laughs> and so i think that with mickey i like how fast he's able to learn and grow i guess that was my point i'm trying to make is is I think that a mistake made today is not a mistake made tomorrow. Yeah, with Mickey. You see that in his press conference too, and um, it is. It's. It seems cliche. Every time he says, oh, "This one's on me. This is on me. Everything comes back to me." Um, that is very cliche. But I don't. From what I remember of Frost, it was always like, "Well, if they would just execute, right? You know, like it, this. This scheme works. We just got to execute." Um, there was a, that was a stubbornness there, and if you're willing to vocalize that. Um, in your press conference post games after a loss, then very clearly, like when you're, you know, when you're at your desk or whatever at the, on the practice field working throughout the week, like you're, you got your heels dug in pretty deep. And yep. yeah, Mickey is a, a lot more of a, a humble guy who who, seems like the the type of guy who's who's a never stop growing, never stop yep. learning type. Um, and so that's that's appreciated. And like you said, I, I think we'll see that as the season goes on potentially beyond so that's that's uh that's kind of my my last question there then for this episode and this game recap is are you still team mickey are you still happy with him potentially taking over as as the head coach yeah i'm still i'm still with him because i I think what we saw against purdue it wasn't new you know we'd seen it before um when frost was coach um we knew the offensive line was going to be an issue throughout the year. Um, we've seen the players respond to him a, a lot better, I think, than they ever did under Frost. This was a game that was out of reach for a long time, but that they they kept clawing back in. Um, the this the offense the idea that just to a lot I don't know how to phrase this. Giving giving the the ball to Purdue for so long and letting them run so many plays and gassing your defense, but you know just trying to score at will again just to stay in the game, I thought was interesting. I don't know how to to judge that as far as like their coaching and the and their their scheme and their planning went because it was effective enough to keep us in the game, but it was also very again very frustrating, um, and and it's not something you want to do every single game it's not how you want to you don't want to function that way on a regular basis so um but I I I think that I don't think that frost frost team a frost led team would have come anywhere close to that performance cool against Purdue yeah so so I am also team Mickey and the reason that I'm team Mickey is kind of in vain with what you're talking about in the sense that I don't necessarily think that this would be the staff that if given the opportunity to hire his own staff, Mickey would bring on board. 
Yeah. I think he has too many connections in the coaching world. I think he has some familial connections that would be some huge hires should they come in as coordinators at Nebraska. Um, some that have worked at a very high level and some that would be able to not only mesh well with Mickey, but also support him, um, continue to give him guidance and growth, but allow him to be the leader. I think that if you get Mickey as your head coach, and uh, the reason that I start to lean more and more this way is we know how good of a businessman Trev Alberts is. For the price of a Lance Leopold or a Dave Aranda or a Matt Rule, you could get a Mickey Joseph and then you could give a really nice bankroll for your coordinators. And you could bring in some cream of the crop on your coordinator side, let your head coach be your recruiter, your CEO, your leader, your guy at the front, you know, taking the blame, taking the hits. And as Mickey evolves um, as a head coach, you know, have him on a, on a shorter contract, give him three years at 3 million, but also give his coordinators a nice big bucket instead of spending that huge amount of money on the head coach. And then just this little pool for coordinators. I, I think that that would be a way to make everyone happy, right? Get us excited about the coordinators that we're bringing in. Get us excited about the guys who are familiar with developing players, the guys who are the banner names behind the scenes, and, and I think that's the way that you go and you become this developmental program because that's what they're doing at Illinois. That's what they did at Minnesota. That's what they're doing around the country where you're seeing these smaller schools or these schools that aren't typically your world beaters. They're taking over the big boys because they're developing players. Um, so that's, that's where I sit with that. I think Mickey absolutely has what it takes to lead this team. I'm bought in to him because he takes accountability for himself. He shares accountability with his players when it's their accountability to hold on to. He doesn't throw any coaches under the bus, but he lets us know what needs to be worked on. There's a level of transparency and openness that we haven't had in a long time. There's always been this like secrecy around Nebraska head coaching and like, hey, this is our thing and you know, you do your thing. But I think that Mickey understands the lifeblood that the fans bring in um, and, and, he just understands really what it takes to be a leader of young men. So I'm, I'm all in on, on Mickey because I think he's the right guy to, to lead this team forward. Yeah. I think, I think it's going to be, it's going to continue to be difficult to, um, to properly assess though, um, just what sort of a head coach he can be because of the situation that he's in, because of the team that he inherited and the, and all that. Um, you know, obviously, winning is is the thing I think that's going to ultimately decide it. But all those other all those other things you touched on, all the other I don't know intangibles, um, I think they matter a lot. And so, and and that's not to say that if someone else were to get hired, I'd be like, well, the, damn it, yeah. You the, know, I think the door is still wide open to so many possibilities. But I, but I think that should Mickey get that job, that means that Trev is seeing stuff in the background that we're not seeing, and the stuff that we're seeing up front isn't just a, a smoke and mirrors, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the way this team is playing in the wake of the adversity they're facing, I can't, I cannot believe, I cannot imagine it being a smoke and mirror show that we're seeing right now. Yeah, no, this, yeah, it's solid. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing about it that you're looking at and you're like, well, that's probably, that we, probably doesn't count. We didn't beat Georgia Southern. So, you know, wins don't just happen. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they, the, the Indiana win, the Rutgers win, and who knows what might happen the rest of the season. If anything positive on, on the win column were to happen, it's not by accident. 
So Correct. yeah. So that that leads me to believe that there's there's something good happening that we may not see because we're not experiencing it ourselves, but what we are seeing, you know, we can kind of believe our eyes. Yeah. The the craziest thing to me is that we could we need three more wins to get bowl eligible. Don't do this to me. Man. I'm just saying. Wisconsin, okay. Minnesota, and Iowa. Those are your three. Are all they're all, they've all had some some bad games, um, and really really bad offensive games. Yeah, I know that they that they've got great defenses, especially Iowa and Minnesota. Iowa didn't score any points this weekend. Did you know that they're on a bye? But they, they still play. <laughs> I was like, do I got to think about that? That's kind of <laughs> sad. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Ferentz probably got a pay raise for that. <laughs> no, I I it's weird it's weird to think like Illinois is the tough might be the toughest team left to play in the yeah. West. Yeah. And then Michigan obviously is Michigan. Um but I'm just saying it's just, it's just weird to think about. Like where we knew that this was going to be a weird division going into this season. It's so much more fucking weird than I think anybody could ever have imagined. But isn't that the beauty of, of this sport? Yes. Uh, specifically college football, not just football, but college football. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, Any it's given wonderful. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. <laughs> Thanks, TV overlords. Well, what do you say, Drew? Shall we wrap this one up? Yeah, let's, uh, let's call it. All right. Well, why don't you send us home? All right. That does it for this week. We are going to keep it short and sweet, just like me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I need to read these before we... We, I need to. We need to. We need to talk about this before we go on. All <laughs> uh, right. I am not that tall. I am kind of sweet though. Uh, going into the bye week. Let, let me start over. That does it for this week. We're gonna keep it short and sweet, just like me. Going into the bye week. We want to thank everyone who tuned into this week's episode. If you have anyone you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget, call on the wannabe walk-ons, wannabe talk-ons hotline. No one's no one's done it yet, but hey, yeah, 402-427-0258 and leave us a message. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are, especially October. Uh, it is still Drink Local Month. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Join us next week as we preview the Illinois matchup and sample more Nebraska craft beer. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.